0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. Please allow me to remind you that if you haven't already done so, you may sign up for our weekly podcast and have sermons like these delivered to your MP3 player every week. Just go to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com and select the link for podcasts at iTunes on the right-hand side of the page. We hope you're benefited by all of these lessons. The lesson you're about to hear was presented on March 15, 2009. I'm really excited about this lesson. It marks the beginning of a series of lessons that I'll be presenting to the Franklin Church once each month over the coming year. We want to mine the Psalms for advice and help with prayer, praise, and worship. We're going to learn all kinds of things. However, this one will be a bit odd. This first lesson will actually explain why we don't have to pray like the psalmist's. Open your Bible and let's get ready to learn why we don't have to pray exactly like the psalmists. The only way to understand the psalms is on your knees. The whole congregation praying the words of the psalms with all its strength. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that. And even though the psalms are part of the Old Covenant, I think there's a part of us that agrees with it. There's a part of us that looks at the psalms and believes that they need to be prayed, or at least sung. In fact, our own hymnals demonstrates that. The song we sang a moment ago, I will call upon the Lord, from the psalms, as the deer, from the psalms. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, from the psalms. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the psalms. The Lord's my shepherd, also from the Psalms. When we take a look at the Psalms, there's part of us that longs to pray like those Old Testament saints pray. One of the things that I would like for us to do is make a study of that. Let's take a look at how they prayed and see if what they did can help us. because. We need to pray. We've studied prayer and we understand the importance of it as it connects us to our Father in Heaven. Empowers us to accomplish His will here in this world and empowers us to allow Him to work through us in this world. And there's no doubt as we look at the psalmist that the psalmist had faith. The psalmist had confidence. The psalmist had strength and power as God worked through them. No matter what else was going on in their lives, They relied on God, who was their rock, their fortress, their redeemer, the horn of their salvation, their shield, their mighty tower, their deliverer. And if we can capture that in our prayer lives, don't you you think it'll be better? And what I want to do over the coming months, in fact, it's going to take a while, is we're just going to take one Sunday a month and we're going to take a look at how they prayed and various things about the Psalms, and allow that to strengthen us in our prayer life. But today, we're actually going to begin at a pretty odd place, and I know it's going to sound odd. As we as we start this lengthy, in-depth study of how to pray like the psalmists. I actually want to start by talking about why we don't need to pray like the psalmists. There's a part of us that wants to do it, but there's also a part of us that's a little bit frightened, a little bit overwhelmed. Let me just ask, anybody here want to learn to pray more like the psalmists? Yeah, absolutely. When you think about that, though, is anybody kind of overwhelmed by the thought of getting into the psalms and figuring out how to pray like them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, we've got kind of this very interesting paradox. We want to pray like the psalmists, but then again, we don't it's kind of frightening. It's a little bit overwhelming. When we we take a look at this idea of, of, of the Psalms and 150 of them and looking at all of these things that they did and where they were, it just gets a little bit overwhelming and we kind of retreat back just to where we are. Not to mention when we study the Psalms, sometimes we see some language that's just a little bit odd. Some language that doesn't fit well with us. I mean, it sounds wonderful when we read it and, and we hear somebody else, but when we when we try to turn to God and pray some of the things that we read here, it sounds a little bit fake, a little bit tinny. It's, it's almost like those greeting cards that we get for one another on Valentine's Day, and anniversary. You know, those things that sound so beautiful, but, but our spouse knows we would never, ever remotely say that. And it's almost like that with the Psalms that... No, I wish I could pray like that, but, you know, thats it doesn't seem to fit. And so we struggle with that. Not to mention the fact that there are other things that we read in the Psalms that just sound downright blasphemous. There are Psalms that I read that once I've read them, I kind of want to move just in case lightning is going to strike right there. Psalm 44, Psalm 88, some other passages within the Psalms. And so we kind of linger and hang back. And then, of course, there's just that part of us that has the idea that no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how much we try, no matter what we do, we will never soar to the praying heights that the psalmist did. We are going to take over the next several months to look at things that will really help us in our prayers. And we're going to learn them from the psalmist. But where I want to start is the place that will help put us at ease, kind of help us relax. Instead of being tense about this study and wondering if we can ever do it and wondering if we should, I just want us to back up and begin by pointing out the reasons why we don't have to pray exactly like the psalmist. We're going to learn a lot of things from them, and our prayers will get better. We're going to increase our faith in God. We're going to increase our faith in in the way He has taught us to live. Our confidence will increase. Our passion in prayer. Our honesty in prayer is going to increase. Our creativity in prayer will increase if we learn from the psalmists. But I want to begin by setting our minds at ease. That if you don't ever get to those soaring heights that we see with the psalmists, that's okay. And then, having been kind of set free by this kind of relaxing, from here on out we'll be able to talk about things that we can learn from them. So, today we want to talk about why we don't have to pray exactly like the psalmist. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? God in heaven, thank you so much for letting us pray. Thank you for offering us this opportunity to reach out to you and to connect with you, to be empowered by you. We pray that you would strengthen us as we learn how to do this. We know that we are so weak. We know that our efforts are really unimpressive. But we pray that you will strengthen us and that you will empower us that You will lift us up. Help us as we study Your Word to learn how to better pray. Not so that we can be impressive, but so that You might be better glorified. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us give glory, but to Your name. Because You are righteous, and You are powerful, and You are holy, and You are just, and You are merciful, and Your steadfast love endures forever. Help us always to remember that. You are the Creator. You are the King. You are the Judge. You are the source. You are the power and the strength, the solution to our problems. Father, help us to recognize that we are but sheep and you are the shepherd. We pray that you would strengthen us to grow in our ability to pray. Again, thank you for letting us do this. We love you so much, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son, we offer these prayers. Amen. So, there's four reasons that I, I notice about the Psalms to help us understand that we don't have to pray exactly like the psalmist. This is not an issue of, boy, I've got to measure up the psalmist to be good enough in prayer so that I can go to heaven. It just doesn't work like that. The very first thing that I hope we'll recognize is that the Psalms are part of the Old Covenant. Look in John chapter 10 and verse 34. In John chapter 10, And verse 34, Jesus answered them. John chapter 10 and verse 34, he's answering his critics. And I'm really not as concerned about the context of what argument is going on here or what struggle is going on. I'm wanting to notice what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? Notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the the law of the Jews. That's the Old Testament. Is it not written in your law? And then he said, I said, you are God. That statement right there is quoting from Psalm 82 and verse 6. Jesus forever lays to rest this idea that the Psalms are somehow separate from the old covenant law. It is part of the old law. Yes, I understand that it is not a part of the, the Pentateuch. It's not a part of the Decalogue, as some would call it, or the Ten Commandments. I understand that the Psalms itself is not written in a legal way as far as saying, here's what's allowed and here's what's not allowed. But what Jesus points out is, is it not written in your law? The Psalms are part of the Old Covenant law. We look in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12. And there the Hebrew writer says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. We've got a different priest now. No longer are we under the Levitical priesthood, but we're under the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we're under a different law. We're under the law of the New Covenant. We're under Christ's law. That Psalms is not our law. Therefore, the Psalms are not given to us as our legal standard of prayer. Again, I just want you to understand, we don't read the Psalms to try to figure out how to pray good enough so we can be good enough to go to heaven. That's not our law. Romans chapter 10 Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 demonstrates this point again. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When it says that Christ is the end of the law, it's not actually saying that when Christ got here the law ended, though that is the ultimate conclusion. His point is that Christ was the goal of the law. Everything that we have in that old covenant law is looking forward to Christ. And even the Psalms, that's what they were doing. They were looking forward to Christ coming, who is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We're not going back to the Psalms to try to figure out how to pray well enough to be righteous enough. That's a part of that old covenant law. We're righteous through Christ. Now, having said that, we do remember what Romans 15 and verse 4 says. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. When I point out that the Psalms are under the Old Covenant and are not a part of our law, I'm not saying they don't help us. I'm not saying we shouldn't read them. I'm not saying we shouldn't go back to them. We just need to make sure that we read them and study them in their context. They are part of that Old Covenant. And we can learn from them just as we can learn from everything that was written aforetime. As we go back to the Psalms, we can learn timeless, universal lessons about prayer and about praise and about worship But as we study the Psalms, we need to make sure that we draw a distinction between looking at those timeless, universal principles of prayer and praise and worship and issues that are describing the pattern that God established for worship in the Old Covenant. We need to be careful that we don't just go to the Psalms and co-opt Old Testament pattern and bring it into our New Testament worship. And we need to make sure that we're using good, sound, biblical principles for that. We can't just say, oh, I don't like what they did there, so that can't be something we do in the New Covenant. But at the same time, we can't just go back to the Psalms and say they did it here, so we're allowed to. We just need to understand that. We're we're not looking at the Psalms as our law on prayer. The Psalms are part of the Old Covenant. The Psalms were prayers of Old Testament Hebrews written for Old Testament Hebrews. We can learn from it, and we should learn from it, and we will learn from it, but we've got to make sure that we understand that. And sometimes that gets confusing because even today... When you have New Testaments, many of you, if you have just the New Testament, it'll have the New Testament and Psalms. And I think that's done so because they recognize the eternal importance of that book and and what a wonderful, helpful book it is. But that doesn't make it part of the New Covenant, and we need to keep that in mind. The second thing that we need to recognize, not only are the Psalms a part of the Old Covenant we need to understand that the psalms were written in a culturally appropriate form. The psalms were written in a culturally appropriate form. Let me explain what I mean by that. The psalms were not given as the universal guide for all time of the only way or even the best way to pray. If we want to take a look at the Psalms and act as if it's only really praying, if it sounds like the Psalms, we might as well say that the only way we're allowed to ever talk about judgment is in apocalyptic form. The Psalms were a specific kind of genre, a particular kind of literature. And here's what's very interesting. The Psalms are not an exclusively biblical genre. Listen to what I just said there. The psalms are not an exclusively biblical genre. What I mean by that is that we can go back into history and find psalms all over the place. Klaus Westermann and Hermann Gunkel, considered scholars on the psalms, have done great amounts of study on the psalms of the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And what we find out is that the psalms God didn't just come down and say, this is the way you have to pray. God rather used the culturally appropriate form of writing prayers and used those in his scripture. Now, some of us are probably sitting back, okay, wait a minute, Edwin, now you're, you're getting liberal on us. Isn't that what God did with all the scripture? Didn't God always take people in, with their background, with their culture, and use that to bring about his revelation? I mean, that's what we say about the apocalyptic. That was part of that Jewish culture. They wrote an apocalypse uh, even outside of Revelation. God used the form that was culturally appropriate. Here's the thing I want us to understand. The Psalms were not written as the universal guide for everyone, every time, everywhere, to say that you have to pray just like this, otherwise you're not really praying. Rather, God used the kind of culturally appropriate genre that was used throughout the culture at that time and brought his revelation about prayer through that. Our prayers don't have to sound just like the Psalms. We don't have to use the exact same figures and metaphors that they use. We don't have to use the same kind of structures and forms that they use. We don't have to become masters at Hebrew parallelism. We don't have to become wonders at chiasm or chiasm, however you want to pronounce that. Some of you are saying, and that's awesome, because I didn't even know what any of that was you just talked about. We don't have to know all those things. To be able to pray the way God wants us to pray. Now, that's we find all those things in the Psalms, but that's because that was the culturally appropriate form. I just want to point out something to you. For instance, consider Psalm 102. Psalm 102, verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily when I, in the day when I call. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time talking to God like that. Because in our culture, that's just not appropriate. Parents talk to children like that. You answer me when I call. Anybody ever said that to their kids? What would you do if your kids said that to you? Jonathan says... (laughs) I really struggle with that. But apparently in the culture in which the Psalms were written, this kind of address to God was culturally appropriate. And we need to keep that in mind. I'm not saying that it would be wrong for us to read this in our prayers or even quote this or recite this. I'm sure it would be right. I I can't see how it could possibly be wrong to quote Scripture in prayer. But I must admit that just in the prayer that comes from my heart, I'm going to have a really hard time demanding that God answer me speedily when I call, no matter how much like the psalmist I did, and what I'm learning from this is that's okay because in our culture we have a language of respect. We say please, yes or no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. That's, that's our culture. That's kind of the language we use. And when we talk to God, we're going to have that same kind of respect. Clearly in this culture that didn't seem as disrespect. What we're saying here is really not anything different from the fact that we would never allow our children to call their mother woman. Even though in John chapter 19, that's exactly what Jesus called his mother when he was on the cross. What are we seeing here? We're seeing culturally appropriate forms of, of address. And We need to understand that the Psalms were written in a different culture. They were written in a different time. They were not written in our 21st century modern culture. And so we don't have to parallel every single thing they did. If our prayers don't do exactly what they did, don't follow their forms, don't follow their structures, don't use all their same images, that's okay because the Psalms were written in a different culture and were not written as the universal guide for the best way to say our prayers. The third thing, despite the fact that I think we can learn a whole lot from the Psalms about prayer, I just can't help but notice that there was a time when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And we can read Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. This is our scripture reading for today. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Excuse me, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I can't help but notice that in that entire teaching, Jesus did not once say, well, the Psalms say. He didn't say, look at this Psalm and let it be a model for your praying. Now, there's no doubt that some of the lessons that we learn from what Jesus says here, we can find demonstrated in the Psalms. But I just want to point out that when Jesus was asked, how should we pray, he didn't say, pray just like the psalmists. And so Jesus has not told us that what we have to do is learn how to pray like they did, otherwise we're not really praying. He never said that. Now, having pointed out that Jesus himself did not use the Psalms to instruct in prayer, I also can't help but notice that when Jesus prayed, He did use the Psalms in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, Jesus quoted Psalm 22 and verse 1 when it says that He cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from Psalm 22 and verse 1 in His prayer. Then we can look in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. In Luke chapter 23 also, verse 46, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. There he's quoting from Psalm 31 and verse 5, and he's praying. Both of those instances, Jesus used the Psalms in his prayers. So, while I'll point out that when Jesus was asked how to pray, he didn't say, go to the Psalms and you have to do it just like that. And so we can learn from that and relax and breathe easy as we look at the psalms and realize that we can take however long we need to study the psalms and learn from it what we can. If we're not praying just like the psalmist, it's okay. Jesus didn't say, pray just like the psalmist. However, at the same time, Jesus does demonstrate that we can learn a lot from the psalmist about prayer. When Jesus prayed, he quoted the psalms, he recited those psalms, and we can possibly do that as well. We can follow in the footsteps of Jesus using those psalms in our prayers. And that's why we're not going to end with just this lesson. We're not just going to say, hey, you don't have to, and then be done with it. We're going to realize that this is not some kind of law and some kind of standard about being good enough in our prayer, and yet we can learn from it because Jesus used it as well. And finally, finally, and this to me was the most interesting thing that I noticed as I studied the psalms and and using the psalms as a guide for prayer. And this is probably going to be a little shocking to you. I'm going to say that we don't have to pray exactly like the Psalms, and one of the reasons we don't have to is because the Hebrews didn't actually pray like the Psalms. Let me just let that sink in for you for a moment. The Hebrews didn't actually pray like the Psalms. Anybody ever studied Job? Job, for the most part, is written in poetry. Here are four friends that are arguing back and forth, and it's in poetry. Now, does anybody here actually believe that when Job and his friends were arguing, that they were really doing so in poetry? Anybody believe that? I don't believe that. I've argued with people, and not once did I start spouting poetry in arguments. And I don't think that the Hebrews did that either. Rather, Job is written in a stylized format. It's an epic poem that describes what happened between Job and his friends. I want to suggest to you that that's the same kind of thing that we see in the Psalms. We don't need to read the Psalms and assume that the Hebrews naturally prayed in psalm and poetry. I don't think they did that any more than you and I would do that. Just the mere nature of psalm and poetry says, I've got to stop and think about this and write it. This is not just me just bringing out just from the the wellspring of my heart just exactly what I'm saying all right in a row, and it just happened to be in the form of a psalm 150 times. That's just, that's not what happened. But I can actually show you even biblical proof for this. I'm not just speculating. I'm not just making this up. Look at Isaiah 38. In Isaiah 38 you'll remember that Hezekiah became sick, and he was going to die. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and the Lord extended his life. Isaiah chapter 38 gives us a very interesting perspective on what happened here. In Isaiah 38 and verse 2, well, let's just go ahead and read verse 1. In Isaiah 38 and verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Notice verse 2 and 3. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now there's Hezekiah's prayer. Sounds a lot like a prayer that we might offer. Very prosaic, short, brief. It's kind of straightforward. No Hebrew parallelism, no, no forms and structures, no poetry. He just prayed, God, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. That sounds like a prayer we would offer. But now look at verse 9. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I know that some of your translations don't say after. Some of it say when. But I do want you to notice when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. We see his prayer. We see the prayer he offered with bitter weeping. But now notice, after it's all said and done, what he wrote. Beginning at verse 10. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane I chirp, I moan like a dove, my eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed, be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. You see what happened here? In verse 2 and 3, we see Hezekiah's prayer. We see the way Hezekiah prayed, Lord, remember me and how I walked before you. But then afterwards, he wrote the psalm. And I have no doubt that other people used that psalm in their prayers, quoted that psalm in their prayers. I have no doubt that other people might have used it as a model for prayer. But I just want you to notice that when Hezekiah was deep in his sickness and he's weeping and mourning with bitterness, he didn't stop poetry in prayer. He prayed just like we do. But then afterwards, he wrote the song, memorializing what happened. Talking about how he was sick, and he was going to die, and went to God and prayed, and God delivered him. And I had no doubt if we could look at the history of each of the psalms, we would find that exact same kind of thing. We find that with David. He didn't just spout off this poetry and prayer when Saul was chasing him. But rather, he said his prayers and then he wrote these psalms. Now, having said that, I completely understand that the Old Testament Jews used these psalms. For instance, look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend, this is verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation, such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I have absolutely no doubt that this psalm was used by the Hebrews as they opened the gates of the temple. I have no doubt that they did that. I mean, what a great psalm to sing. The way to worship God is they're ascending that hill to the temple and the gates are being opened. So yes, I know they used these in prayer. I'm sure they quoted them. I'm sure they used them as models. But I just want us to understand, we don't have to feel guilty because in our time of dire need or even in our time of, of great praise, that we're not stouting poetry in honor of God because the Hebrews didn't pray like that either. So we can recognize that while we can learn a great deal from the psalmist, and we will, we're going to learn a lot about increasing our faith and our honesty and our, our passion and power in prayer. But if you don't go home tonight and pray just like the psalmist, it's okay. If you're not praying just like the psalmist next week, it's okay. If you're not ever praying just like the psalmist, It's okay. It's all right because the Psalms are not given to us as our guide for here's exactly how you have to pray to go to heaven. We can learn a lot from them, but we can relax. I don't have to be tense about this process. I hope that you're ready as we start next month to start hitting the Psalms and learning how to pray better using what we learn from the psalmists. I hope this lesson edified you and glorified God. Let's remember what we learned. We don't have to pray exactly like the psalmist because, 1. The psalms are part of the Old Covenant and are not our covenant with God. 2. The psalms were not written as the universal guide for how to pray, but were written using a culturally appropriate genre. 3. When Jesus taught how to pray, he didn't turn us to the psalms. And 4. The Hebrews did not pray like the Psalms either. If you have any questions about this lesson or any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to contact us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face to face. Please join us for any of our assemblies or classes. You can find times and directions on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We certainly look forward to meeting you. Finally, I want to remind you again that you can subscribe to these sermons as a weekly podcast by selecting the podcast at iTunes link on our website. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.